0: Out here in the hallway, here um, outside of Stage 19, we have an old, old edit machine, and it belonged to Frank Capra. He was the guy who directed It's a Wonderful Life. Before he made that, he made a series called Why We Fight, and Why We Fight was edited on that machine. It was a series that explained World War II to the American public, and it it opens with a vaudevillian narrator saying, why are we Americans on the march? Back then, Americans were marching into hell that had seized Europe. Today, we're fighting something that Lincoln predicted, an enemy within. A whole new generation of cult members devoted to Marxism or climatism. But how did they weasel their way into every aspect of our lives, from the classroom to the White House? Their contributions to society, if you can call them that, are rooted in negative violence, protest, rioting, hair trigger raised rage, the emotional instability. They aren't revolutionaries like they want to believe. They're, in my opinion. Many of them are coward, tantrum-loving brats who suckle on capitalism as they whine about capitalist oppression. They bully our children. They attack our values. They mock our families. They, in many cases, have destroyed some of our towns. They set fire to our businesses. They steal your property, decapitate your statues, erase your history, covet your money, spit on your god, and assassinate your character. Wow, how do you get around that without having hate in your heart? You're going to like today's guest. These people have found a way to silence their opponents in every walk of life, including the military. Today's guest, after spending his entire life in the Air Force as a real-life maverick, today, um, he's here... um, No longer as a commander of a space-based missile warning unit with Space Force, because he was let go. He began to notice the radicalism creeping into the military. Last year, he was removed from that post after he talked about the neo-Marxist agenda that has infiltrated the military. And it is the subject of his new book, Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal and Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military um uh, i have so much to talk to him about we're going to talk about nukes because that's what he did for a living we're going to talk about space we're going to talk about the military um i have a feeling we're going to talk a lot about god um and i hope we get some time on aliens and ufos, <laughs> UFOs. please welcome matthew Lohmeyer before we get to matthew when it comes to stocking up emergency food you know me i think you should be prepared for anything and everything i mean i wouldn't be surprised if aliens came down and said no more food for you i mean would you be that surprised Um, we are heading into um, dark times troubled times maybe war famine around the world hopefully hopefully not here but if you have to feed your family. If supply chains begin to seriously break down, if there's just a bad snowstorm and you and your family are trapped in your house for a while and nothing's open, you'll be glad you went to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. Stock up on their three-month emergency food kit. You'll get $200 worth of survival gear as a free bonus. You seriously don't know what's coming next, and you you don't need something to go wrong. If we go to war, the grid goes down. Holy cow, boy, do you need to be prepared. But honestly, I can say that there was no food in the house. One time my wife was gone and I didn't want to go to the store and somebody might have gotten into the food supply. Just saying it's really delicious go to mypatriotsupply.com your 200 bonus gift comes with uh free with each three-month emergency food kit that you order that way everybody in your family can be prepared i want you to go right now mypatriotsupply.com that's mypatriotsupply.com
1: mm-hmm.
0: you welcome thanks glenn for having me you bet glad you're here um i will tell you this is the first podcast i think i've ever done where uh everybody was excited for the guest but oddly the women were more excited <laughs> you're not that. excited <laughs> no i'm excited but not okay, not, okay. not the same enthusiasm as uh i mean i don't look at you as the space hunk but uh I have a feeling a lot of women do.
1: Um, You know, my my wife bought me um, for Christmas a license plate. uh, I don't know what you call those things. Border, I guess. They don't make them for the Space Force yet. And I'm a veteran of the Space Force. And so for Christmas, she got me a customized license plate border that said First Veteran Space Force," and I was uh, excited to to put it up. So I set it on the back of my truck that I drive, with the intention of screwing it in yeah. to the back of the truck. And I forgot about it. Oh my god. And I, I dropped it somewhere between my house and my office, and it's been crushed by a hundred cars by now. So I still don't have that on the back. But my wife. Uh,
0: she appreciates yeah, she too appreciates that I'm the space it,
1: yeah. force son. Yeah.
0: So, um, look, can we let's just start there for just a, okay. just a minute. Um, you've never been to space. You don't have to be in space to be part of space force. You were you were looking uh, at what in space? What were you? What was your particular job? My particular job was space based missile warning, which
1: ties in. Incidentally, with some of what you've recently been talking about, our Cold War with China at the moment and the uh, previous Cold War that we'd fought with the Soviet Union, uh, we established along northern latitudes all across North America and Western Europe, a ground based. Uh, radar early warning system so that we could detect ICBMs that were coming over the poles from the Soviet Union during the last half a century. Right, And, of course, that grew into a space-based architecture that was also used in conjunction with the, the ground-based radars to do space-based missile warning. So my career field in the Space Force, and before that in Air Force Space Command is what it was called, yeah. was space-based missile warning. We do a number of other things in the Space Force, uh, but that was my area of expertise and, uh, the space force, you know, to, to many people, it's funny, I travel all around the country, uh, and try and speak in various conferences mm-hmm. and space force comes up when I'm in Ubers and when I'm uh, in airplanes and I ask people, have you heard that there's a space force? And the answer is almost always no. Many Pe- people aren't aware there's a new branch of the military, yeah. or they've thought, "Well, it's just a Netflix documentary with Steve Carell," <laughs> right, and they right. think it was ridiculous. Right,
0: and, right. Yeah. So how uh, how worried are you about the hypersonic missiles and China and the possibility of nuclear war? Now. <sighs>
1: So I, this is a great question, and it's not a question that most people ask uh, as um, a commander of space based missile warning unit that used infrared technology in geosynchronous orbit. I know that's that language can be lost on your typical. just American. means the satellite so, rotates with the Earth. That's right. right? It, it appears from our vantage to be stationary. Correct. Uh, and to give you an idea of how far out that is, I mean, if you had your typical globe sitting on the table and you put a yardstick uh, perpendicular to that globe and put a speck of dust at the end of that yardstick, relatively speaking, that's where our geosynchronous satellites wow, are. Wow, that orbit. far away? Yeah, they're 22, 23,000 miles out. Wow. Uh, phenomenal distance. And uh, so we would use infrared capabilities to detect heat signatures on the earth against a relatively cool background to look for rockets right and um one of the biggest challenges that our senior defense leaders admittedly have had is trying to figure out how to detect and track hypersonic glide vehicles Uh, i've heard some of them say that is the threat that keeps them awake at night Mm -hmm. if there was anything that kept them awake at night so we're talking big threats uh, the kind of thing and again i'm not going to assume that your listener understands what that is so by definition a hypersonic vehicle travels at speeds at least at mach 5 which is
0: how fast Uh, it
1: depends on um altitude air temperature and so forth so when you think of a jet breaking the sound barrier that's breaking mach 1 and at sea level geez i don't even know what it is anywhere around 600 miles an Mm -hmm. hour and of course that that speed goes down depending on your altitude and, and and air temperature and whatnot But um, so we're talking multiples of the speed of sound and, you know, both Russia and China have extremely advanced capabilities. We pay close attention in the Space Force to the testing that China has been doing in particular with their hypersonic glide vehicles and how far developed that capability is. And the United States is focusing on developing that capability as well. It's my sense that we're a little bit behind the power curve. If there was a if there was a bell distribution, and mm-hmm. China and Russia in this capability are somewhat on the leading edge of that bell curve, and I'm I suspect that we're not uh, yet on the leading edge of that bell. And I just
0: ask you, why? I mean, it's as an American,
1: right. a great question. Why? Why? We we had this opportunity after. Um, the end of the cold war in the nineties and beyond, I think to maybe dominate the space domain. Mm -hmm. Uh, We elected not to, Uh, for whatever reason there, uh, I don't know if it's just policy decisions, budgetary considerations, you know, the star Wars program Mm -hmm. of Reagan's era, Mm -hmm. there was uh, not just a um, claim that we weren't yet technologically advanced enough to pursue the star Wars initiative, whether or not that's completely true but there was also very real global geopolitical concerns for that program we're establishing a defensive architecture oh really yeah Uh, it could also very well be used as an offensive architecture and that is the that is your standard international relations security dilemma um, that is probably one of the best contributions of international relations theory in my opinion is the security dilemma right and And so uh, that's probably one of the best reasons, I think, that we didn't pursue that. Now, I think during the Trump-Pence administration, when they became very serious about um, what you could rightly term a space race between the United States and China, and President Trump got excited about the idea of an independent branch of the military for space, I think that we were pursuing, and perhaps still are in some ways, some capabilities that we had long since abandoned since the star wars initiative and you know there are some capabilities although most of what we're doing in the space force is has already been done by air force and the department of the air force for a number of decades there are other capabilities and uh, platforms that we are pursuing that i think the american people probably wouldn't hear about for a few years still Mm. Um, but i've got good friends who've been placed in command of some of those units
0: when you look at a hypersonic missile, I believe it doesn't have to go as high, right? That's right. Which That's makes right. it dip more difficult to track. And if I remember right, it was—I thought it was eighteen minutes—but I just read mm. this week that it was 13 uh, I'm sorry, thirty minutes from Russia to the middle of America. Is that the right number? And what is the number for hypersonic? Same same distance.
1: The right numbers depend on a few factors. Now, um, it's probably helpful to just mention that the uh, original uh, nuclear weapons threat at being delivered by an intercontinental ballistic missile. Mm-hmm. The idea was that the uh, missile would be on a certain trajectory, would the, leave the Earth's atmosphere, end up in space, and then it would fall ballistically into a known target. We can, mm-hmm. we can predict with relative accuracy what that target looks like. Uh, when you get into hypersonic, so it was, it, but it was on power. It was just falling to earth uh, at some point after it burns out, it's yeah. falling. It's on a huh, ballistic okay. trajectory, <laughs> which makes, uh, det- so detecting the launch was relatively, I won't say simple, but really it, it's become quite simple for mm-hmm. us and beyond detecting it, then tracking it using both ground-based and space-based sensors. And then targeting it to kill it or intercept it. And we have a missile defense uh, architecture as well. I wasn't a part of that. I was part of the missile warning architecture. But when you get into things that are moving much, much faster than the the standard ICBM ballistic trajectory and potentially also maneuverable platforms, Mm. you can think that there's a target in New York City because for all intents and purposes, it looks like the weapon is headed for New York City. But it changes course and it heads to Detroit instead or it heads down to D.C. And so even if we figure out the detection piece and even if we figure out the tracking piece and even if we're able to potentially get, you know, shoot the bullet out of the sky with another bullet, you have to you have to ask where is it headed and how do we solve that problem? That's why this is the kind of threat that keeps our senior military leaders makers decision makers up at night if anything keeps them up anymore we've got plenty of other problems as well but you know, the point is um, yeah how long your question was how long does it take for this right. weapons delivery to, to right. happen uh, yeah 30 roughly 30 minutes for this the old traditional ICBM is a good estimate however it depends on where these things come from right. and with a with a hypersonic vehicle, uh, they can be launched from any number of platforms, and potentially platforms are from places that aren't as far from our coasts as uh, your traditional ICBM. I mean, remember, Soviet Union 1962 placed a bunch of, I think they were medium-range ballistic missiles as close as Cuba. Right. Now you're talking minutes for nuclear we- weapons delivery to a, a major U.S. city. Uh, hypersonics almost eliminate... Uh, the need to even stage things that close just based on their wow. speeds. Uh, and you're right. They don't go up into space and fall on a ballistic trajectory. They can kind of skip along right. in between space and the thickest part of the atmosphere and then dive in whenever they're programmed to or told to. I'm
0: going to take a quick break back to this, a fascinating conversation. But first, let me, let me introduce you to somebody, somebody who used to steal people's houses. Honestly, steal their houses. Listen. Your title is so important to your house and all the money and equity that you have put into that house. You need home title lock protection for your home's title. Home title fraud is growing two and a half times faster than credit card fraud. Please go to HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code radio. It's a $100 value that you'll get for free just to see if your home is actually in your name still. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code radio. It's been a crazy year. We, we haven't mm. thought of, I haven't thought, you have, it was your job. I haven't thought of nuclear annihilation and a nuclear war. I've thought about dirty bombs and things like that. But nuclear war right. has, I mean, Reagan and Gorbachev both said, it can never be won, it should never be fought. But we are now looking at the first time Two superpowers, nuclear superpowers, Mm -hmm. are facing off, not, I mean, still through a proxy today, Mm -hmm, but that facade is falling away quickly. Russia knows we want to topple Putin and his regime. Mm -hmm. It's becoming more and more apparent. They think they could just collapse the United States uh, by having a war with us. If one of us are in the position of we're losing, and they will be dominant will be gone that's when nuclear war actually becomes uh, not reasonable but but potentially potential. increasingly likely yes
1: that's right yeah yes. when someone when an actor is backed into a corner Uh, And feels like it's left with few options. Right. Every other time. There's this exponential increase in the the likelihood of the use of extremely destructive weapons so that they can extract themselves from. Correct. The the dangerous existential problem they find
0: themselves in. But people think of, well, we've been like this before. Afghanistan and they were going after Vietnam. It's not the same. That's right. This is the collapse of one or the other. Where the other was just a you know bloody nose or a bruised eye, When we got involved in the uh, desert
1: conflicts for the past couple of decades, um, I think it's probably i don't want to say safe to say, but um, it's fairly accurate to say that the United States was the global hegemon, and Russia and China hadn't mm-hmm. reemerged as competing. Uh, global powers, and uh, I think that 's changed today it 's entirely different to your point uh what we're're we're, we're, we're at a critical juncture the uh position we 're in relative to china and russia is is completely different than the wars that we fought in the deserts mm-hmm. for the past 20 years. And we dumped a lot of treasure mm-hmm. and blood mm-hmm. in, in, into those conflicts there. But uh, we're talking about reentering a period of proxy wars. I think we're probably in a multipolar world between China, Russia and the United States, uh, where uh, not only are we getting increasingly involved in Ukraine, there's a rising... China invading Taiwan threat and we have the potential of getting more involved in a proxy war in in Taiwan and the Philippines and then then we're upping our presence uh, elsewhere in the Indo-Pacific theater Mm -hmm. uh, which has been a policy recommendation to both the previous and the the current administration in order to preempt a, a Taiwan attack and invasion but there have also been really serious considerations about whether or not we should draw back out of the Pacific because all of our war gaming says that a war that we get involved in in China's backyard in the Taiwan Straits is not going to end well for the United States. And we don't even necessarily have the fuel in our tankers or the number of tankers required to fuel the fighters and the bombers in that region to successfully execute a campaign and establish air superiority over the island of Taiwan. And so policymakers have asked uh, and, st- and the strategists have had to ask really hard questions about whether or not we should stay put. And they've been asking that question for a number of years. Of course, those conversations don't happen in front of the American people. They happen behind closed doors in the Pentagon. Um, but there's a legitimate case to be made for the fact that we're going to have our, I won't say the word that's coming to my mind, uh, rear-handed to us mm-hmm. if we choose to get involved in a conflict there. I mean, the number of drones alone that China's able to send across oh the my strait gosh. Uh, It is something that we would have an exceptionally difficult time pushing back before they soak up all of our missiles, all of our all of our Mm -hmm. sweet AIM-9Xs we're shooting down balloons Mm -hmm. with. Um, That, um, you know, how do you wage a conflict after day three or day four when they've not even put up a manned aircraft yet? And we're trying to establish some air superiority in the region. Uh, It's a it's a it's a it's a wicked problem. And I think, frankly, policymakers and strategists are just hoping that the problem remains a potential problem for long enough that we can figure out some way to successfully navigate those waters. Uh, But if it happens soon, uh, which I think there's um, good potential for, and frankly, if I was Xi Jinping, I'd do it while Biden is in power. Oh, yeah. Uh, But it's, a. I mean, this is a disaster in the making, the bottom line. And... Every time I start talking foreign policy or international relations, I can't help but then rein in my own thinking to think about the tremendous problems we face here at home. I hear Nick, I mean, Nikki Haley was here on your show, mm-hmm. and I'm not interested in yet disparaging any candidates for the presidency, <laughs> but I have to say I disagree with the idea that we keep dumping our treasure into Ukraine. I agree. Uh, we've got so many problems here at home. Then unless they have our undivided attention, I mean, they're likely to undo our country before hypersonic weapons do, in fact. Oh,
0: well, the Soviet Union, I mean, sorry, Russia is doing what we did to the Soviet Union. They know we are on the edge. I mean, I've talked about this for 25 years. There's going to come a point to where the enemies of America will go, oh, they are weak. Just a few more pushes and they're out and we're there. We are there. We're weak in every way. Yeah, we are. And we've demonstrated that.
1: I mean, a lot of people like to point back to Afghanistan withdrawal from last year and the year before that Afghanistan withdrawal that was um, tragic. We were demonstrating to the American people and to the global community, to Putin and Xi Jinping, Mm -hmm. that we had misplaced priorities Mm -hmm. within this administration Mm -hmm. and within the Defense Department. I mean, uh, we're going to probably talk about it because you've got the book next to you. No, 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 we are. I I talk about our misplaced priorities, and it shouldn't surprise us when we misplace our priorities that we would end up making terrible decisions uh, in how we execute a withdrawal, for
0: example. So uh, I've had this conversation with conservatives here over the last couple of weeks because I believe we are in a different position than what Americans always think we're in when we're talking about the military. We think of war and we think, oh, well, we're not really going to feel it, you know, like the last Mm -hmm. 20 years Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, who's going to beat America? It's a different Time, A different military, which we'll get into mm-hmm. different leadership, money, uh, prestige, all of it is completely different than it was even five years ago. Right. Um, and so people are saying, because I, I don't want to be I don't like Putin. I don't like the Russian government. I mm-hmm. don't like the the Europe, um, the uh, Ukrainian government. It's mm-hmm. dirty. Yep. And our government is dirty. I don't know. I can't point to the good guy here. Right. You know (laughs) what I mean? And I don't want to have my child go out and have to fight against or for any of Mm -hmm. those. You know? That's right. Um, And so I say that and then people are like, oh, we can't back out. Otherwise, we look weak. We couldn't look more weak than we look right now. Right. So if you were advising the president, Mm. what would you tell him to do with... With Ukraine and Russia and China. <laughs>
1: well, at first he wouldn't listen. <laughs> he don't care what I have to say. Yeah, It goes back to something I just said a minute ago. We've got so many problems at home that need our immediate focus. Right. That that's where we need to turn our attention. I'm not, I'm not advocating to become an iso- isolationist state by Correct. any means. And our alliances are more important than ever, I think. Uh, now, do they trust in our strength anymore? Probably not. I think, frankly... As much as they work with the current Biden administration, they probably think he's a joke. Uh, Now, depends on who you're talking about. But every serious country on the planet is willing to go to war to protect their territorial integrity and their political sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Uh, So whatever one says about Putin... I talk about this all the time in public. In fact, I get asked questions. Are we doing enough in Ukraine? And I think, okay, I I think the the question is misplaced first off. But let's talk about just heads of state and whether you like Putin or not. And frankly, most people don't and shouldn't. Right. Because he's a bloodthirsty killer. Bloodthirsty killer. Right. But the fact is, as a head of state, he's got a team of advisors around him that will help him understand threats to territorial integrity and political sovereignty. And then he has real time decisions to make based on an extremely dynamic data set about how he's going to act in the, in the best interests of his country. I can say that I think that his decisions are actually a reflection of some decent thinking and strategy that include some prob- really bad decisions uh, and foreign policy decisions of the West over the pa- and the NATO Alliance over the past couple of decades that people have warned about. I cannot look at our own government at the moment and say that we have our own best interests. can either. Uh, at the forefront of our intentions, we are not interested in preserving our territorial integrity. We actually seem intent on destroying it. Mm -hmm. And at every turn, we're making policy decisions that threaten our political sovereignty. And so I bring up those two points to say, well, I I think Xi Jinping and Putin are actually interested in making decisions they believe will help their country in the century. Now, whether or not it will help right. Putin. But they essentially the cent- trying. To I do think that. they're my, my assessment, and it's a novice one to be sure, is that these people have legitimate care and concern for the well-being and the future march of their country into the century ahead. And I don't get that sense from the current government in the United that. States. And I think that. China and Russia get the same sense that I have about the current administration. And I think that many Americans, and I don't care if they're pro-Trump, rah, rah, rah Americans or not. There are many Americans who are concerned at the lack of interest that the current administration seems to have and the lack of interest the DOD seems to have at pursuing legitimate, well-prioritized policy and and strategy as it pertains to the problems that we're having in our own country. And so uh, that's the advice I'd give if I could give any advice at all. It's let's focus on the problems that the alligators that are nearest the boat.
0: Back to Matthew in just a just a second. As you know, you think about the things that are going on in the world um, and you realize that we need each other and we're, we're going to need community. Um, I want to talk to you about good ranchers. We need our farmers. We need our ranchers and they are being Nailed by the food industry right now. Did you know that between 60 and 80 percent of the meat that you buy in the grocery store, even if it has that little flag on it, you know, a little sticker that says uh, product of the U.S.? That's not true. It's from another country. Our farmers, our, our growers of our food, of our beef, of our chicken, even the people that are providing our fish, we've got to support them. And you can save money by doing it. I want you to go to goodranchers.com. Goodranchers.com has a 100% satisfaction guarantee, um, and it's a monthly delivery. You just pick your packages and they deliver. It will lock your price in. Okay. So you're not going to have to take another 15% hit uh, on meat in the next 12 months. And you'll save $30 if you use the promo code GLEN. Promo code Glenn, GoodRanchers.com. Before we get to the book, one more question. I'm greatly concerned about the blowing up of the Nord Stream pipeline. Probably five countries mm-hmm. in the world that could do it. The one that is, makes the most sense is us. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see any of anybody who investigated it on our side Even saying anything about anything, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, well, that wasn't an accident uh, and we're not going to talk about it anymore. Um, That if that was done without Congress, if it was done by us, Mm -hmm. that's an act of war. If it was done by us and went around Congress, that's an act of treason as well. Can you give me hope that you don't think that we did that no i well no i'm not interested in giving false hope
1: (laughs) but here's here's you know i interviewed with you about a week ago on the radio for 15 minutes and Mm -hmm. we talked about this a little bit Mm -hmm. and i've tried to learn as much as i can about this thing since then and i've got to You asked me about um, Cy Hirsch's report, and while I I said in that previous interview that I thought it was entirely plausible what he's stitched together, Mm -hmm. I can't help but wonder if he's been fed some information deliberately that was um, sending him down the wrong trail. I think the United States was directly involved. I think it was responsible, probably. And this is, again uh an opinion mm-hmm. i also think a navy p8 was responsible for the attack what's a p8 uh, it's it's uh you look it up i think it's a 737 that's been outfitted with a bunch of bombs and missiles and, um, I mean, go Google or YouTube, uh, a Navy P-8, and, and take a look at the capabilities that that aircraft carries. And there's a really great video that maybe we can push out uh, as a part of this that, that I came upon. Uh, a friend of mine sent it to me, and the guy traces the flight path of a United States Navy P-8 uh, that had, had killed its squawk and went in and refueled in a particular region, waiting, waiting, waiting for the right the right timing to then go drop a payload and I don't know why it's not in the headlines yet. Mm. Uh, but I'll share it with you afterward because yeah, I think it's, it's quite compelling. So I, I imagine that story is going to emerge in
0: the, uh, in the weeks ahead. So if, if that happens, though, see, this is. I am like you. I love America. Mm. I think America is very flawed and has been for a long time. But when we like Martin Luther King said, live up to your principles Mm. when we try to live up to our mission statement of the things we found Mm -hmm. self-evident and we actually honor our Constitution and the Bill of Rights, we do more good Mm. than bad. But all of that is being dishonored. All of that is gone. If, if they can do this without even Congress knowing and approving, mm. don't you have a uh, unplug-it-and-plug-it-back-in kind of scenario where the whole thing has just got to be reset to factory mm. settings?
1: Yeah, speaking of a great reset, I mean, that yeah. might be one that's kind of useful, but to, uh, how to how to properly manage that and how that will happen is the is the bad news i mean because that's not something that um well the last chapter of my book i give what i consider um it's a warning that's based on history about where this path leads if we don't immediately change course, which by the way is called repentance. Yeah. And I believe it's possible for national repentance. Thank you. But, um, and if, if we, don't, and if do we that, don't do that, we're headed down the path that leads to civil strife, more hatred and anger and violence.
0: You said the path we're on as a country leads to a fratricidal and genocidal warfare. Right. Explain that. Yeah, um,
1: I, I'm glad I put it that way because um, People have asked me questions about the potential for civil war. And and one of the ways you've heard people talk about it now is a cold civil war, Uh which is apt. Um, And when I've used the term civil war to answer the question, people have pushed back and said, no, 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 there's no north south divide in this country. and We're not going to have a war between Democrats and Republicans. And when they think, quote unquote, civil war, they're thinking about something that is cleanly. Um, divided into halves. And I don't think that's necessarily that useful. Way. Right. So I'm thinking more along the line, lines of something that looks far more tribal, uh, where people flock to the nearest uh, community, whether it's religious, political, apolitical, uh, and uh, that they believe can provide them the best security temporarily before they move on to the next tribe that can mm-hmm. provide, them. could be familial. Fratricidal, what I meant by that is uh, brothers and fathers and sons and family Uh, have such a hatred, a visceral, emotional response to one another based on uh, political disagreements, uh, for example, uh, that they could kill one another. Uh, We've seen this in countries all throughout the last century, in fact. And genocidal, uh, sometimes it's called democide, uh, but when governments get involved in killing their own people. Uh, and, And you could see already in the past couple of years how if a city became violent, theoretically, uh, how the government could justify the use of force against our citizens in order to keep the peace. I mean, that's one potential legitimate use of government also. Mm-hmm. But uh, based on the uh, recent precedent that they've been establishing, you've plenty of Americans, tens of millions of them probably, frankly, that wouldn't trust that their federal government at all would have their best interests um, at heart and and so there's that's what i meant by fratricidal and genocidal violence it's this it's this idea that if you can sow hatred in the hearts of men using rhetoric or a narrative anti-american narrative we are loathsome we are like vermin we are a white supremacist country um first off what U.S. citizen wants to sign up in an all-volunteer force to defend that. um, And many are losing their incentive to do that. Mm -hmm. But also, over time, that breeds hatred and anger. And then when you have an angry people... And a hungry, possibly. And and potentially a hungry people. And when your children are hungry Mm -hmm. um, and you don't trust the institutions Mm -hmm. and the bureaucrats around you to provide for you like they always have, or they're not coming to provide for you anymore. Mm Uh, people do terrible things. And uh, I'm not trying to be fantastic. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. In fact, there's a great book that we read at a defense strategy school. It's by Stathis Kalivas, It's a terribly boring book. It's called The Logic of Violence in Civil War. And he surveyed uh, countries uh, around the globe that got wrapped up in what were largely, in fact, although he doesn't emphasize this point, Marxist revolutions in the past half a century. And people describe their experience in the, who survived it, in the lead up to the Civil War by saying things like, I knew things were getting bad in my country, but I didn't know it was getting that bad. And then we woke up one morning and the whole country was embroiled in violent conflict. And it didn't end for seven years or it didn't end for seven months or whatever the case might be. And they said it was like a madness swept across the land. And you think about that from a spiritual, psychological, emotional perspective. When people become so emotional as ideology can make you or false narratives of the country mm-hmm. you live in, then, and you're filled with enough emotion and hatred that you can really feel it, it's guttural, then you become irrational and you become animalistic and you become tribalistic and you're interested in survival and other things. <laughs> and, and so that, that's where I think as impossible as it might even seem to some today it surely was more impossible, seeming, to people two and three years ago, although we've made a lot of progress uh, towards that very thing in the past couple of years, unfortunately. And without that kind of national repentance, I think that's precisely where things are headed. And if, again, if I was Xi Jinping, mm. I would be well aware of this mm-hmm. taking place in our country. And not only would I not be interested in a vi- I, I I got pushback from some people after my last interview with you, uh, with you, who said that they they're military people and who I respect. I respect their view. Uh, retired general officers emailed me and said they think that China is actually very interested in a in a kinetic conflict with the United States. And I thought carefully about what they said. I still disagree. Uh, while there might be the the uh, occasional exchange uh, of conventional or kinetic weapons in a proxy war somewhere like Taiwan mm-hmm. in an effort to degradate United States forces. I think that Xi Jinping knows that in the long run and in the long game, his strategy needs to be to help facilitate the decline of American society, American oh. culture. And there's no better way to do that than with
0: narratives uh, about how terrible a country we are. I mean, that's why what Putin said this week, about America. Right. Is true. Is true. But it is also part of the strategy from Russia to point those things out to continually stir it so you look at him and go he's a killer. And he'll stand up for us more than our guys will. Right. Well, there's no better weapon
1: he has at his disposal than uh, to speak the truth about some terrible things that the United States is doing, saying to their own people. Um, Another example that you may uh, not be aware of is that uh, several months ago, the United States Air Force Academy um, gave some diversity and inclusion training slides to their cadets. And on one of the slides... They taught their cadets that it was probably insensitive and maybe even inappropriate to use terms like mother and father anymore at the Air Force Academy. And so they should use parent one, parent two, guardian one, guardian two. And a cadet that was really dissatisfied with those training slides leaked those and we shared them with Fox News. And then there were a bunch of headlines that were generated about this to draw attention to the issue, which caused the Air Force Academy senior leadership to backtrack and try and defend hey look we weren't saying you can't use mom and dad anymore we're just saying try not to be insensitive monsters here Uh well putin within i think it was within a week gave a gave a speech in russia that seemed to me i don't have the text on me Mm -hmm. here i'd read it to indicate that he was well aware of the trainings that have been given at the u.s air force academy he said do we want here in our country, where we care about the, the nuclear family, parent number one and parent number two and parent number three, he says, we don't need any of this satanic evil. And all of the Russians who want to support Putin cheered and all the Western world looked at him and said, well, yeah, he's right. Mm-hmm. And we're pushing this stuff on our people. And Putin said, they're pushing it on the rest of us and it's got to stop. We'll talk about a great weapon in his arsenal.
0: Oh, yeah. Use our foolishness against us. I was just talking to a friend of mine uh, as I walked into the studio here a little while ago, and uh, he was in so much pain. And I said, have you tried Relief Factor? And he said, I'm trying it right now on my second week. It is um, it's hard to get past pain. I mean, he was at the point where he's about to give up. And that's usually when people try something like Relief Factor. And I don't know why. If you have pain, try it now, Please. Don't let this be the last thing you try. My wife said to me when I I said, I'm not taking that. It's not going to work for me. She's like, oh, oh, okay. I thought you were willing to try everything. I thought you were actually looking to get out of pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took it. Three-week quick starts. That's how I did it. And in three weeks, I started to feel a difference. My pain is gone. Most of the time, my pain is completely gone. Try it. Three weeks, 70% of the people who try for three weeks find out that it's working for them to some degree, and they continue to order more month after month. If it's not working for you in three weeks at all, it's not going to help you. It's worth the risk. It's worth the 19 bucks. Eight hundred four relief 800, the number 4 relief, or relieffactor.com. So let's talk about um, your book, because you, you go into... Uh, Marxism, and uh, I mean, you've, you've nailed it mm-hmm. down, but tell me, because people know that this stuff is happening, and it's happening in our schools, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Mm-hmm. tell me why this, why somebody who is worried about putting food on their table should right. care about Marxism in our military. Great
1: question. What I meant by Marxism, and I just want to clarify, because people who may be skeptical, want to distance themselves from the use of that word as it pertains to some of our race-based trainings uh, that come in the form of diversity and inclusion trainings in the uniform services. So I tease out the idea that's laid out in part one of the Communist Manifesto about the oppressor versus the oppressed class. And in in Marx and Engels' Communist Manifesto from 1848, that was an economic class stratification kind of thing that had to do with the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. Uh, We've usurped that. I mean, the, the critical theorists have in academia over the past century, as you're aware, and it became critical theory and critical legal theory and now critical race theory. It's still the same oppressor versus oppressed group structure but it's blacks versus whites essentially i mean i'm simplifying Mm -hmm. things that is what i meant by a marxist rooted critical race theory there's a clear lineage of ideas that you can trace from marxist ideologies roots to the present day and all of our current critical social justice activism that you see in the country why it should concern the person at home Um, the, the short answer is because the united states military has long been a bastion of patriotism and conservatism in this country and the strength of the united states military is predicated upon its unity and critical race theory destroys destroys and divides everything it touches into camps into tribes as we were talking about and so the last thing that the american man or woman wants at the dinner table whether they're aware of it or not, is for their nearby base of soldiers or airmen or guardians to be constantly brainwashed into thinking that our diversity is our strength and that um, there are real race differences here we ought to be talking about each week so that we can help be more sensitive to one another and more inclusive to one another. No, by the way, as the Air Force recently announced, we're going to get away from the number of white fighter pilots that we've got we need to go from 80 percent white pilots white male pilots in our force to 67.5 percent that was a uh, that was the numbers that were given by uh, whatever's position is there in the pentagon a two-star maybe three-star uh, in the air force who's uh, responsible for
0: public affairs i, I uh, just want the best fighter pilots i just want I don't the care best if they're doctors all asian right you know all jewish all black i don't care doesn't matter Give me the best ones. Well,
1: that's the greatness of the American ideal. I mean, merit matters in the United States military. Unity matters in the United States military. If you inject race-based identity politics, you divide, and then you start establishing quotas, and you lose merit, and then you lose lethality, and you lose
0: readiness. So that's why the American people need to be very concerned about this. Is this something we—I mean, because I remember in 2000, Seven, I think I started kind of figuring this out. 2005 is when I, I thought, wait a minute. The, I don't think, the, I don't think the cold war really ended. They just mm-hmm. took their uniform off and put suits on. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's the same kind of stuff. Now it's just corrupt, but it's the same guys, you know, same guys,
1: same ideology roughly speaking correct and even though it formally came to an end one of the things that characterizes the difference between today and say 1991 is the degree to which foreign actors who share that ideology are able to infiltrate the united states and our institutions and we've got more apologists for this stuff or believers true believers true believers in this with embedded within bureaucracies, unelected sure. officials and elected officials, both we've got them in uniform and we pride ourselves in sending our senior military leaders to some of the best, uh, institutions of higher learning that exist in this country and elsewhere, because it's great when they come out credentialed and now they know what they're talking about because they're experts. They also come out more and more left in their political mm-hmm. bent and more and more supple and pliable in the hands of a totalitarian spirited uh, government policy machine which is what the current the current go- just last week joe biden signed a new executive order the american people probably haven't heard about yet it's furthering um oh, what's it called it's it's more on race equity yeah. furthering or further advancing race equity i think was the name there no. Yeah, F- F-A-R-E, I think. Yeah. And I don't know if they're calling it fair, but further advancing uh, racial equity. I probably got one of the words in there yeah. wrong, but I don't have the racial equity part wrong. And if his January 20th, 2021 executive order advancing racial equity hasn't done enough damage to the federal uh, agencies and the uniform Services. He's ramping it up yet further still as of last week. And yet there are there are in fact Democrats in Congress who say that the fact that CRT is being taught at our, our military service academies is just a talking point of some rabid alt-right Republicans. That's total, totally bogus. In fact, it's been established by policy that they need to be teaching it. Mm-hmm. And the military is happy to comply. <laughs> and these people have been educated. And now they're so educated
0: they're going to help educate the rest of so the military so when you look at this i've i've always trusted our military i've always thought those those people generally speaking will follow you know the law and the constitution um and they wouldn't turn guns on You know, American people, I mean, unless the people were just out of control, Mm -hmm. they just wouldn't do it. Um, However, we are teaching them now that, you know, peaceful people are monstrous terrorists and everything else. Um, And I don't know how long it takes to metastasize in something like the Pentagon and the war machine. Can this be? reversed how deep does this go
1: um you you made a really important point that i want to draw back out it is unthinkable that the united states military would turn their weapons on the american people but governments turn their weapons on monsters Governments turn their weapons on terrorists, governments turn their weapons on threats to democracy, governments turn their weapons on you pick your word, I know, I know and what you've seen over the past few years is that we have an ongoing escalation of rhetoric about how dangerous the white supremacist alt-right Republican is, the Trump supporting MAGA Republican. Uh, They're so afraid that the January 6th footage has been handed over to Tucker Mm -hmm. Carlson, for example, because that's too sensitive and it'll do terrible damage. The the fact is, you have to build sufficient narrative to dehumanize citizens in any country. If you want the uh, government, if you want the actors who are just normal citizens Mm -hmm. in one sense, to justify in their own minds and as and organizationally the use of force against their own people and you do that only if you've been sufficiently educated into that kind of monstrous behavior but there's a growing belief that we've got factions within our society that are just animals and monsters who want to tear down the government and maybe there are plenty of those too make no mistake about it plenty of people want to tear down the government Uh, but uh, so it isn't possible that American citizens who are in uniform are going to turn their weapons on American citizens, but they might on terrorists and they might on monsters. I and know you're smart support, enough. You know, to, you know where I'm, where I'm going. You no, know I do. So their buildings, all the rhetoric that we see should be very troubling to us. You, you, Hitler did I it. know you have Stalin read Ordinary and, Men. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how it happened in exactly Nazi Germany. Exactly right. Exactly right. So people are puking their guts out because of the terrible things they did to a pregnant woman the day before or the, the, the family that they had to brutalize mm-hmm. in the course of their job. And Americans are no different than Chinese, no different than Russians, no different than Nazi Germans. They're just not humans or humans. Human mm-hmm. nature is something that is universal. Mm-hmm. Cultural differences aside. What Marxist ideology does to the chinese it will do to the american correct
0: so i don't think you answered can we turn oh, that yeah. around maybe i did answer it <laughs> <laughs>
1: um it's a hard question there, there seems to be so much piling up that is out of our favor um And so you mentioned the man or the woman sitting at the dinner table, and they ask the same question, what is it that I can do? And my answer is, you know, each of us has a unique sphere of influence we operate in. And the man at the dinner table, his sphere of influence might be exceptionally small, and it might be the walls of his own home and the community he works in Monday through Friday. And I think it's the best advice I could give. In this regard is that we can try to be the best humans that we know how to be helping educate in a peaceful manner those around us within whatever sphere of influence that we currently occupy and affecting some kind of repentance in that sphere of influence mm-hmm. uh, there are others that have a much larger stage like you and others that run for office or who find themselves in office who should be saying the same thing uh, we need to change course. Is the bottom line. And uh, Solzhenitsyn said famously, I think he was trying. He was wrestling with, as he wrote his his uh, Gulag Archipelago series. He had, he had a mountain of um, evidence, stories, um, testimonials, if if you will, mm-hmm. about why the things had gone the way that they did in the Soviet Union. And he concluded after all of that, and this is right to your question, he said, I can't summarize any better than to say that men have forgotten God, how we ended up here. And that sounds, to someone who wants the more meaty, fleshed out, secular, irrational, it's like that is the thing. Because when when we abandon God, and I don't care what religion people are, Mm -hmm. but when we abandon God, that belief system turns into a vacuum and ideo- ideology fills all the gaps mm-hmm. and people are filled with a meaning in a new way. And it's hatred for the other. And they set about trying to create order in the world by fixing the other. And that leads to terrible things. And it all in the aims of establishing the utopian Correct. state. And, um, you know, I, I don't like saying history proves, uh, dot, 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 but history it, shows it, it, history <laughs> has demonstrated yeah. in the past century Uh, exactly, I mean, you can almost, you can prognosticate where this is headed. You could prophesy where this is headed looking in the years ahead because we're no different than
0: anyone else that's walked this path of hatred. I've I've said this for 20 years. We think we're so superior. We think we're so whatever. With our technology, if we continue to walk down this road and we're, are capable of holding our country uh, together at some point, Mm -hmm. you know, of some way with our technology, we will make the, we'll make the Germans look like rookies. Mm. I mean, it will happen. It's human nature. And if you read what was happening in the twenties and thirties, and you really understand the psyche of somebody who had fought in world war one, And then you look 10 years down the road and where they are, we're repeating almost all of the same things.
1: Right. You know, on the Navy reading list last year was Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. And I start working through this book and I thought, you know, I've got Mein Kampf sitting on my shelf, right? And I wanted to pick it up and start to compare the spirit of the text. And it was uncanny. The fact that our military has advocated for reading texts that are filled with that kind of hatred and evil um, tells you the point to which we've gotten in this country. Uh, but it's not very different than Hitler's worldview. Uh, and I, he, he usurped, some, he read Marx, he didn't, he, I think he detested Marx and communism. Uh, and we placed them on opposite ends of a political spectrum, whether or not that's appropriate. But he essentially usurped Um, some of Marxist ideology and inserted race and then justified the extermination of people based on their race. And we're marching that path right now. Uh, And so we've got so much of the 20th century wrapped up in what's happening here, but people don't know 20th century history. One of the things that Einstein also said it, and you mentioned how devastating this could be, I think he, and this was before they developed like hydrogen, bombs and at the the very outset when we had started to develop the atomic weapon he said i don't know what weapons he said uh i don't know what weapons we will use to fight world war three but we'll use sticks and stones in world war four or something to that effect and that that's about right that tells you the gravity of the situation that we face i mean people can kill each other with ice picks but when nuclear bombs start going off Uh, it it sets back civilization for an unknown period of time to the point where you don't have your electricity and your technology and the signal from your GPS satellite anymore, and you don't grow your food the way that you did before. And so whoever makes it through that filter
0: uh, has a lot of work to do on the back end. Yeah, see, I I was going to say, it doesn't take a nuclear bomb now. No, that's right. It takes anybody who's not today living in a cave. You know, somebody who's not you know, way off the grid in mm-hmm. some place where the whole community is set up that way. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not the civilized world. And you hit the power grids, you take that down, it could be months, mm-hmm. if not a couple of years, before you could really rebuild a power grid if you hit it right. Yeah, who's going to rebuild it? I mean, the
1: the people currently sitting in their caves who right. don't know anything about the electricity? Right. I mean, it's...
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's... Uh, it's not good. Um, you, you just brought up um, Stolz Nietzsche. And I know one of the answers in your book is uh, live not by lies. Mm, yeah. I am such a fan of what he wrote in that. Mm-hmm. I, I, when I read that recently in the last two years or so, it took on a whole new meaning. Mm. Um, right. And It is like it was written today for us. Um, One one of the things I like about,
1: so there's some good news in all of this. Uh, When you talk about this kind of stuff, it's so easy to get bogged down in how negative and dark it all is because Mm -hmm. it is negative and dark. If you're not sure where to find a glimmer of hope, look at the great opportunity that we've got before us to try our best to not live by lies. And to become a person, a human of honesty first, and integrity ultimately, who can learn true principles and live those principles and values despite all hell breaking loose around us, whatever your community, whatever your sphere of influence, uh, try and live up to that first. Try and live as a person of honor in a darkened world, and that has so much power. See what the consequences are
0: in a world where no one trusts anybody. You know, if if you can be the one person. That in your circle of influence, everybody goes, he's not like that. Mm-hmm. He's he's honorable. If he gets it wrong, he admits it. He works to tell the truth hard and to keep honor. If You're that person. The number of people you can affect in right. dark times is profound.
1: That's the hope. And the light shines in darkness and the darkness comprehends it not oftentimes. Yeah. And so... That's our obligation. That's an opportunity. It is a glimmer of hope. And, and you know, here's another thing, too. I I, I was, in fact, um, this will seem like a tangent, but it's not. I spoke at, here in Dallas uh, in December at a Christmas luncheon, and they said, you normally talk about negative things. We want you to come and bring a message of hope. And I thought, well, then surely you don't want me to talk about politics. <laughs> and so I gave a Christmas message and talked about Christ. And what I tried to do is talk about the time in which he came from a social, political mm-hmm. perspective, the Jewish people, and, and I unfortunately offended someone, and that wasn't my intent, and so I won't cover everything I covered, <laughs> and I, I, was try, I tried to be careful, mm-hmm. but it's clear that the Jewish people were um, a, a quasi, quasi-nationhood living within the greater Roman Empire at the time of Christ's birth. And there was an expectation and a hope that because they were God's covenant people, he would come and fix everything politically for them. Mm-hmm. And in fact, God was crucified. Their temple is raised and thrown down. Mm-hmm. And once again in history, they go off into captivity. That was God's covenant people. And then in my view, they were in an apostate condition at that time. But here's, sure. the, here's the parallel that I made with the present time. I hear it all the time around the country. Well, because we're his people, and this is Christians speaking, because we're his people, he will bring uh-uh. us through this. And I think that's not how this works. Uh-uh. And so I unfortunately ruffle a lot of feathers when I share my view that that's not how this works. And history does bear that out, in fact. And God has had covenant people throughout history. But guess what? That doesn't mean he's going to come as your political savior this week or next. In fact, he's far more interested in the individual soul. Oh, yeah. And in that long game, than he is in protecting a wicked, corrupt, and degenerate
0: government. Uh, Our founders understood that. Or people. Or people. This is what's so scary, is our government is not the people. However, Mm. the people uh, have gone dark. Darker than I've ever seen in my life. Um, And God is not important. The dollar is, our lifestyle is. And I, I hear this from Christians all the time that, um, you know, well, the the rapture. Mm-hmm. Well, I I hope you're right because mm-hmm. I don't want to be around for it. But just in case you're not right, we need to engage and be um, preparing mm-hmm. for all things. It, they also seem to it's amazing. We're such self-hating egomaniacs. Um we expect God to do all these things, mm. um, and, and, and yet we don't have any faith that miracles can happen. But miracles will only happen for a good and generous and decent mm. people, you know? Yeah. The, the rest of us, you know, we'll, he, this land is so sacred, mm. I just don't think he'll have a... a, a of babylon Mm. uh, and people of babylon on this land no we'll start from scratch
1: jefferson all of our founders were aware that we had no such false hope no promise from the from providence yeah uh, as the word that they so often used that we would be preserved despite our ignorance and our immorality uh jefferson made it clear that ignorance and liberty were incompatible uh john adams uh, said that our Constitution does, it doesn't, I'm paraphrasing, doesn't have the power to govern an immoral people, holy a godless inadequate. people. It's wholly inadequate. In fact, he says something like uh, I mean, the, the force with which we could bring down the Constitutional Republic would be like a whale going through a thin net. If we, you know, an immoral people can't be governed properly by the the constitutional construct that we have. Now, that is our construct, and so it's incumbent upon us to repent and return to something. And at the end of my book, in fact, that was an important sense I had in writing the book. And again, and I'll reiterate this, it didn't matter to me what someone's religious worldview or non-religious worldview Mm -hmm. was, but there's a national repentance in order. If they're a Christian, then they can repent and face the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Jewish, the same. Uh, if they're uh, Buddhist or Hindu and they're an American, then uh, they don't need to repent and face Jesus per se to save a nation. The idea is that you repent and face an ideal that was at the founding. Yeah. You believe you have a shared, you have a community with shared knowledge and beliefs in an ideal, and then they live that ideal together and they establish justice. And we've lost justice. And one, of, someone I, I don't agree with everything he said, but. Um, Mortimer Adler, now uh, long-deceased Mortimer Adler, had said, uh, there's, there's a list of reasons for the Constitution that are written into the preamble, and justice, is, the establishment of justice is one of the first of those. He says, but if you lose justice, then none of the other aims of the Constitution are possible. And I like that sentiment. And as you look around and you look at headlines and you watch what's going on in the world, you can be sure that we're losing justice. That's for certain. You lose
0: justice, which we have, or, or really close to entirely losing justice, redefining justice. You cannot apply the Bill of Rights anymore. Right. That's right. Because you're looking for a different kind of justice. And a justice that man can't ever solve. That's right. I am not I'm I'm not a you know UFO freak. I am however uh skeptical. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl Sagan said it best. What a what a tremendous waste of space if we're the only ones. Mm, right. I, I just don't find it reasonable to think that we're the only thing in the vastness of space. So, won't surprise me if there's aliens. Mm. Um and I've always kind of just rolled my eyes a bit, you know, with frying saucers and everything else. But we have come across, according to the Pentagon, mm-hmm. if I'm reading it right, technology that is way beyond man's understanding at this point. Mm-hmm. And the experts I've talked to, they have said the way some of these things are moving and the things they're doing, Right. if China per se had that technology it would have seeped into so much more of their society it wouldn't just be applied in Mm. that um so right (laughs) what are these things do we great question Uh, i don't know
1: What strikes me as curious is, um, now, like you, I'm skeptical uh, because I've seen a lot in government. Yeah. I've suspected that most of what people have been seeing is something related to governments and its futuristic technologies, right? You know, Skunkworks and DARPA and all the videos you see, it's like, they're doing stuff that's wicked cool and you're
0: not going to hear about it for 20 years, right? My my uncle was in uh, um, engineering uh, airplane engineering and top secret clearance and i'll never forget when the the stealth plane came right. out he's like yeah that's old news yep <laughs> you know that's it's, right so you're i'm i i agree with that yeah but i yeah. hear this is so far beyond is that true
1: or not uh it is um what's striking to me about it is that I watched a, a documentary. I, I didn't have interest in this, um, and, but I watched a documentary with my wife called Phenomenon. It was done in 2020. I think it's on Amazon Prime okay. or Netflix or somewhere. And I didn't know just how far back in history, oh yeah, these sightings go. Mm-hmm. And even when you're looking at recent history, we're talking 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, well before the advent of the kinds of capabilities or technologies that I would think. Could potentially see. We're now living in an age when I could when I could think. Well, governments are responsible for what you're seeing, and we just don't know about it yet. But I wouldn't have thought. I, I can't think that as I look back at the 1950s. Right. right. Um, and so, and, and the eyewitnesses to some of these things. There's plenty of kooks and quacks out there. I get it. Mm-hmm. But some of the eyewitness testimony is startling. And there was this one point in the video, probably halfway through where these air traffic controllers are describing something, some orb, glowing ball of light, or something that they saw zipping all over the flight line. And I paused it, and I said to my wife, I've seen that. And I'd forgotten, and this will sound crazy to the listener, that I would forget something like this, but I was in high school in Tucson, Arizona. I was in the foothills in the mountains on the north end of town, and. Um, maybe the reason I forgot it is because I don't talk about, I was with a girl and I don't want to talk about stories like mm-hmm. that. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. married now, and, mm-hmm. but I was with, a, and we saw this orb is a better way. I don't want to say ball of light. Cause instantly I guarantee you people are thinking, well, it's ball of lightning that yeah. you saw. And it's a rare which phenomenon. I've seen, And that's yeah, crazy. And it's crazy. And it's cool. This is very different. Mm-hmm. And so I told my wife, that's exactly what I saw. It didn't go away. It hovered. Uh, it seemed alive, but almost static. And it, and it was completely motionless and soundless. It was inaudible. And as soon as she and I took notice of this object, it zipped right down to over our heads and it startled the hell out of us. And if I couldn't tell how close it was, but I probably could have hit it with a rock if you could hit such a thing mm-hmm. with a rock and it stayed there and we picked up our chairs and we booked it to the car and we left. And the thing, right, right then the thing was zipping off and leaving. Uh, it was probably no bigger than the table we're sitting at Uh, I couldn't see through it but it looked like I could have reached my arm into it and there was no, it wasn't being flown by somebody and it wasn't something that we make that we humans manufacture Uh and so it appeared to be a natural phenomenon but extremely well organized and almost aware of us and as, as odd as that sounds I had that experience in high school and chalked it up to some natural phenomenon I couldn't Mm -hmm. explain. And I forgot about it until I'm watching this phenomenon, this 2020 documentary. And so my wife says, you've never mentioned this to me. I can't possibly be real. You're misremembering or, I mean, she trusts me. She knows I'm a trustworthy guy, but she questioned me. She teased me a little bit. And so I said, come with me to Facebook. I'm going to send a message to this girl that I haven't seen for two decades. And, um, I sent her a message. I said, I won't even plant the idea. And I said, Hey, Hey, Katie, how's it going? Do you remember that thing we saw in the mountains? And she wrote back instantly. She was on. The little green dot was next to her name. And my wife and I were just anticipating a response. She says, you mean that freaking UFO that zipped down out of the sky and hovered right over our heads? And so my wife was convinced. I wasn't exaggerating the story. <laughs> and that I'd actually seen this thing. I don't know what it was to this day. Uh, it could have been entirely natural. It could have been intelligent. And that said, there's something intelligent and conscious about light and truth anyway and so i I can't quite explain that but yeah there is intelligent life in the cosmos I don't think they're so they're so stupid that they'd bring their craft into uh, the the United over the United States or anywhere in the globe and be shot down by missiles, no, and or or no. accidentally run out of fuel and crash into a <laughs> right. field somewhere, right? And so, uh, and do they look like green men? Uh, I don't know. I, probably not. Yeah. I'm guessing if there's intelligence out there. Hey, man was created in the image of God. How about we yeah. start with that? Right. And so I presume that there's intelligent life out there. Uh, and Hey, we know there's angels out there. So where do where are they? And, uh, what form do they take? Right. But what, why would the pen, what's changed in the Pentagon? I think the frequent, I think a a couple of things have changed. Uh, I think the frequency has ramped up. Uh, I think the fact that it's getting so much attention on social media and the media, they're having to,
0: um, uh, Spend more time talking about it. I've had somebody tell me that it's now trackable by two different, two or three different points that they can get a ship, an airplane, and maybe land base to to lock onto it and go. Yeah, it's. I see it three separate sources.
1: Yeah. Does the United States government really not know what some of these things are that we keep? You know, it it Mm -hmm. remains a mystery to the public. Uh, I have a hard time believing that they don't know what most of these things are. That, that's my sense. Despite what I've seen, despite what um, others claim they've seen.
0: That's probably as good as I can do on the UFO subject. <laughs> one, last, yeah. one last thing. Bigger chance of seeing an alien in your lifetime okay. or the return of Christ.
1: Uh, hand, uh, hands down, the return of Christ. I think so, too. <laughs> uh,
0: I, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep checking my I'll watch. He might
1: be here now. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a conspiracy analyst, I could say. Yeah. And, I, and we've been given every reason to believe in conspiracies in, in the modern age in yes. the last couple of years. And there's big conspiracies afoot. Uh, now, that said, people know me as very well-grounded. Uh, they know that I'm not interested in dabbling in something that I find inauthentic, untrue, ungrounded, unscientific. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very serious about that. And I'm 100% believer that in our lifetime,
0: we'll see the return of Christ. Me too. I'd love to have you back. You're fascinating. I'd love to come back. You're fascinating. Um, um, maybe we'll talk flat earth and space. Like <laughs> I really want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you more about space, but this is really fantastic. I think you have nailed it and you have given in in the book, you have given uh as somebody who has prayed lord what do i tell people to do i think you have come up with solid solutions um and and things that people can do and you've hit the most important it's god if we don't humble ourselves and repent it's He can't help us. Mm. He just can't help us. That's right. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people.